Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. You may be seated. People will come up to me periodically and they'll say, Preacher, do you believe once saved, always saved? I've learned through the years to look behind the question. Because usually behind that question, either the person who's asking it or someone they know is a person who made a profession of faith when they were a child. And as an adult, they've quit going to church. They've quit reading their Bibles. The only kind of prayer life they have is at mealtime with a blessing and maybe a little memorized prayer at night before they go to sleep. And so that person wants the assurance that, hey, you know, I, I got saved when I was six years old and I got baptized and I was a part of the church, so I'm always saved, right? Well, that brings us to our test, the seventh test today. But for those of you that are visiting, let me give you just a brief recap. Uh, we're looking at the 11 tests of saving faith. The Scripture admonishes us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail the test? So not everyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who's walked down an aisle, said a prayer, been baptized, joined a church, is truly a born-again believer. Hence, the command twice for us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if indeed we are Christians. And that's what this series is all about. Now, we told you that our salvation is based on God's grace and our faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So, your salvation comes to you by God's grace and faith. But the assurance of your salvation, how to know that you are saved, is based on faith and a changed life. The only assurance you have that that prayer that you may have prayed took, so to speak, is a changed life. You look at your life and you see that you live differently than you did before you became or professed faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no way Christ can indwell you as a believer, and He does, and you stay the same. It just cannot happen. He brings about a gradual, a consistent change in you. And we're looking at the 11 tests of saving faith, things you should see in your life if you indeed are a Christian. You may see some more than others, but you should have some glimmer of all of these in your life. And if you do, then you have the assurance that you are indeed a Christian. 
Now, we've looked at six tests already. I'll just review those for you quickly. The first one was a person desires to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. You desire to obey the Bible and to uh, fellowship with God. Second, there's a desire to be obedient to God's commands and to surrender to Christ's Lordship. You desire Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you've surrendered to His Lordship. Number three, there is a pursuit and realization of a personal relationship with God in Christ. You don't just know about Jesus, you know Him personally. You don't just know about God, but you actually know God. And He speaks to you in His Word, and you speak to Him in your prayers. Fourth, there's a consistent struggle for victory over personal sin and Satan. There is a struggle. And you experience this struggle consistently to do what is right and to experience victory over temptation and Satan. Number five, there's a growing appreciation for the power and authority of the Word of God. You come to love this Word that is God's Word. And you love it more and more. And you grow in your understanding of it. Number six, a growing love for the things that honor God, along with a growing contempt for worldliness, which opposes God. The longer you are a Christian, the more at odds you should feel with this world, with the workplace environment that you probably find yourselves. You at school, you need to say, you know, I just don't fit here. I just feel like a, an alien, a stranger in this world. And you are. And the more you walk with Christ, the more you will experience that feeling of just not belonging in this world. That brings us to number seven. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. We will be looking at verse 17. We will be looking at actually at verse 19. All right, stand in respect for the Word of God. Now let's look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so it would be shown that they all are not of us. You may be seated. So the seventh test of saving faith is there is a perseverance of the believer in his commitment to the Lordship of Jesus until death. In other words, a true believer will persevere in his faith, in his walk with Jesus, until his death. That's what John's talking about here. They had people who had joined their church. People who had professed a faith in Jesus. People who had been baptized. And yet, they had fallen away and were no longer coming and being a part of that Christian family, that church. And so John says about them, you know, these guys went out from us, they left us, because they were really not a part of us. They were really not 
true Christians. They were name only Christians. Because if they had been a part of us, if they'd truly been born again, if they'd really been a part of our family, guess what? They would not have gone away. But the fact that they went away shows they were truly, really not born again. Now, this verse and many others teach that the truly born again Christian will remain faithful to God until death. I want us to look at a few of these verses. And the first thing we're going to see is that God keeps us saved. It depends on God, not us. Now, if it depended on me to stay saved, I would be in trouble. And you would too. But the truth is, God is the one who keeps us saved. Look at some of these verses. John 10. Jesus is speaking in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, Jesus, in verse 28, says, I've given them eternal life. And the picture is of a shepherd holding a baby lamb in his arms. And Jesus says, they will never perish. Now, I want you to look at that verse, never perish. And in verse 28, Jesus says, I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. Now, in the English grammar, it is not appropriate to have double negatives. You would not say, I, I don't not know. You would just say, I don't know. Right? You wouldn't put, I do not not know. Well, in the Greek, it is purely acceptable. In fact, it is used, double negatives are used to make emphatic, make it very emphatic. That I am definitely making this clear. Well, Jesus is using a double negative here. At least the Holy Spirit has John put a double negative here. When he gives the words of Jesus, they will no, never perish. There we go. And that's why I put it up there for you. They shall no, not, never perish. So Jesus wants to make it perfectly clear. They're not going to perish. Once I have my own, they will never, no, never perish. He says, I've got them in my hands and no one is able to snatch them out of my hands. Now, if that's not enough that the Lord Jesus, the Creator, has you in His hands and no one can snatch you out, He even says, let me tell you something else. Not only that, but the Father who is greater than all, who has the greatest authority of all because the Son submits to the Father, you remember, He says, the Father who has you and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. You can't snatch yourself out. The devil cannot snatch you out. No one can snatch you out of the arms of God the Father and God the Son. It's impossible. God will keep you saved. I look over in Hebrews 7.25. It says, Therefore He is able also to save forever. Those who draw near to God through Him. 
to save for a little while, to save for a long time, to, no, to save forever. And forever in the Greek means forever. That means no end. Now, why is He able to save you? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you all the time. Jesus is praying that you will stay safe and stay on the path. And because He's praying for you, He's going to keep you saved forever. Now look in Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says you can take this to the bank. He says, I'm absolutely confident, 100% sure of this thing now, that God who began a work in you, that is when He saved you, He will perfect it. And that word perfect means to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to its, its desired goal, its desired purpose. He will continue to work in you until the day that Christ returns. Now, there's no room in there to fall by the wayside, is it? Because God is the one who keeps you saved. Look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you, that is, make you holy, bring you into maturity entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the clincher, verse 24. Faithful is He, not you, but faithful is He who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. He will keep you preserved, complete, and you can count on Him because He is faithful to His Word. And He will bring it to pass. So your salvation depends, first of all, on God keeping you saved. He's the one that is the ultimate initiator and the one who continues to work salvation in your life. Now having said that, let me be equally as clear that the Scripture also teaches that you are responsible to persevere. You are called or warned by God that you must continue in the faith. You can't just lay back and say, oh, God's keeping me saved, and I don't ever go to church, I don't ever pray, I don't ever live, I don't live like it, but God's keeping No. You are called on as well to do your part, which is to continue to be faithful, realizing God is the one enabling you to be so. All right, again, it's that... Philippians 2.13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's you. That's what He calls you to do. But it's God who's at work in you, both the will and the work for His good pleasure. So the Bible puts side by side God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Right? To us, we can't see how they fit. But trust me, in God's economy, in God's wisdom, they fit perfectly. And so we hold them in tension and realize the Scripture teaches both. Yes, God keeps me saved. But at the same time, he tells me I got to keep living it. All right. For example, look in Colossians one twenty-two and twenty-three. 
Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's God's part. If, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. You see your responsibility? If you Remain steadfast in faith, firmly established. We're called on to keep living the faith. Also, look over in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. In other words, we're Christians. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, Firm until the end. See that big if? If we hold fast our confidence, we don't let go. We continue to firmly walk with Christ until the end, which is death. Look in First John three, excuse me, Hebrews three six. Also, I think we have another one there. Look in Hebrews three fourteen. For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. How do you know that you have become a partaker of Christ? Because you hold fast the beginning of our, of your assurance firm until the end. You know you've partaken of Christ because you continue to live the Christian life until you die. You say, well, preacher, does that mean that a Christian will not ever fall away, what we call backslide? And the answer to that is no. Reality shows us that sometimes a Christian, a indeed a true believer, may backslide. Excuse me, may backslide for a moment. All right, look at David, for instance, a man after God's own heart, right? But he backslid into adultery. Lying and murder. Look at even Peter. Denied Christ three times. And then even later on in his ministry in Antioch, he pulled away from eating with the Gentiles because of the pressure that was put on by the Judaizers and became a hypocrite, Paul said. So yes, a Christian may... In rebellion, in fact, do almost anything a non-Christian can do. A Christian who is in rebellion to God can lie, he can cheat, he can steal, he can commit adultery, he can do most anything a non-Christian can do. But you see, there's a big difference though. The big difference is the Christian will not stay in that sin. He will not make it a practice in his life. Remember 1 John 3, 9? No one who's born of God practices sin. You remember that? We said a Christian may fall into sin, but he will not make it a lifestyle. He will not live in that sin. He will come back to God. Why can't he habitually practice sin? Because, verse 9 says, that... The seed of God abides in him, and I believe that's the Holy Spirit, 
And he cannot sin because he's born of God. If a Christian gets into sin, the Spirit of God is going to get a hold of him and get him so miserable that he's not going to be able to continue in that sin as a lifestyle. He's not going to be able to practice it. If he can, what does that show? He's not a Christian. That's simple. All right, there are two main differences that a Christian who has backslidden will find out from a person who is not a Christian at all, who's living in sin. First, with the backslidden Christian, there will be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He cannot ultimately and persistently deny the Lordship of Christ because the Holy Spirit will bring conviction into his life. Now, he may have a seared conscience, but still there will be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit convicts a believer of sin, let me tell you, there is no denying it. There is no rationalizing the way you know you have sinned. I can tell when it's the Holy Spirit convicting me because, man, I know it. I, just, I can't even argue about it. He just makes it so clear I can't do anything except say, yes, God, you're right, I sinned. Right? And when the old enemy wants to accuse me, then I can argue with him and, 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 and I can uh, uh, rationalize things. But when the Holy Spirit brings that conviction, you just know you have sinned. An unbeliever will not see that kind of conviction in his life. Well, he may be sorry he got caught, but there won't be that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at David. He lived in rebellion for nine months after his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. But then one day... Nathan the prophet came to him and called him out. And when he was called out, David immediately repented and realized his sin. We see this over in Psalm 51 as he writes after this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He recognizes. He knows he has sinned. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Peter, when he came Back. He wept and came back to Christ after his denial of Christ. You see, there is that conviction of the Holy Spirit that will lead to repentance when one will turn away from his sin and turn back toward Christ. You remember Judas? He was sorry that he had betrayed Christ. You remember that story? He threw the money back. He realized he'd done wrong. But did he come back to Christ? Went out and hung himself. You see, the Bible says there is a repentance that's nothing but the world's repentance. But the repentance that comes through Christ turns one back to the Lord. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we see where... Paul's talking about this when he says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. All right? Peter's the first one. 
He was sorry that he had denied Christ, but he turned back to Christ. It led to salvation. Judas is the second one. He had nothing but worldly sorrow. He did not have true repentance. And what it did result in his life was death. And so a true born-again Christian may backslide, but he will experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this conviction will bring him to repentance, and he will turn back to Christ. Whereas one who is not a believer may feel sorry for what he's done. He may feel sorry that he's been caught, but it will not turn him to God in faith that he might experience salvation. So that's the first major difference between a Christian who's backslidden and a non-believer. Second major difference is there will be the disciplined hand of God in the life of the believer when he sins and continues in that sin. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, look at what it says beginning in verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Look at what he's saying. He says, even on the earthly scene, we know that any father will discipline his children. Now, he doesn't discipline other people's children, but he'll discipline his. He says, God is no less loving than an earthly father, and therefore God will discipline his children when they get into sin. In fact, the writer of Hebrews can clearly say, if you're not experiencing the discipline hand of God, and you are involved in sin, then guess what? It shows you're not a true Christian. You're not a real son of God. You're illegitimate. You're not really born again. Because God will discipline His children. And so if a Christian finds himself in sin, and he's backslidden, then the disciplined hand of God will be released in his life. And if you can live in sin and not see God's hand of discipline, then that is a sure warning that you better be very concerned about your salvation. Now, God's hand of discipline will come in many various ways. We've talked about that. It can be in your finances. It can be in your health. It can be in your home life. It can be at work. God is not limited in the various ways He can bring His hand of discipline in your life. Even the extreme is the sin unto death. We talked about that. That persistent sin. That a Christian will not repent of that sin. God continues to bring the conviction. He continues to bring the discipline. But in rebellion, that person will not turn. And eventually God says, I'm taking you to heaven. You're causing me too much trouble down here. I'm taking you to heaven. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, a guy who was committing incest, he said, I've turned his body over to Satan for destruction, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Christ. So you see, even the sin unto death shows a person's a Christian. A non-Christian just keeps on sinning. And so God's hand of discipline is in their life. Look at David in Psalm 32. Before he confessed his sin. Look at the disciplined hand of God in his life. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Some of you who are as old as I am and a little older remember the days that you didn't have air conditioning. You were lucky if you had an attic fan, right? And you remember those hot summer days when it was a, you would just have your strength drained out because of the heat. There was no relief. That's what David said. He said God's hand was so heavy on him, his convicting hand, his hand of discipline, that it was draining his energy. He was drained. He was exhausted. He was wasting away. It was eating him up. So a Christian will see the disciplined hand of God in his life bringing him back. God doesn't discipline us to punish us. He disciplines us to bring us back, to make us grow into Christ's likeness. God's discipline is always from His hand of love. He is seeking to bring us back, to bring us along His path. And if you are a true Christian and you have backslidden, then you will see the hand of God's discipline in your life and you will see the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or you may go a little time when it's not there, but then you'll hear a sermon or you'll read something in the Bible and, man, it'll just strike you. It'll hit you. You'll know God's saying, that's you. Come back. Well, how do you know if you pass this test? How do you respond to crises that come into your life? Tragedies? Troubles? Do you respond like Job? Though he slay me, yet... I will still praise Him. Do you respond like Paul and Barnabas when they were in that Philippian jail being beaten? They sung praises to God? Or do you become bitter? Angry with God? Turn away from Him? How do you respond when God shows you a sin in your life? Do you respond like David and repent? Confess? Do you respond like Peter and repent? Or do you respond like Pharaoh and your heart just becomes more hardened? Do you respond like Herod when John the Baptist told him of his sin, of marrying his brother's wife? Pharaoh just got harder in his heart. So how do you respond when the Holy Spirit does convict you? The only true test that you're born again is you continue to persevere in your walk with Christ until you die. So let's go back to the first question. Preacher, do you believe once saved, always saved? I believe if you're truly saved, yes. If you're truly born again, then you'll never lose it. Well, how do you know you've been born again? You continue to persevere until you die. That's the only way. The only assurance we're going to have, guys, is that we keep walking in the faith. Because God will keep you faithful if you're His. And He calls on you and me to remain faithful. 
Have you passed the test? Are you right now today walking faithfully with your Lord? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.